1: Today, on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
0: Real
2: love is calling, opens up your eyes. Mercy is with every sunrise. Every crisis of faith in terms of blaming God for something or becoming angry with God for something or believing that God is unfair about something, every crisis of faith is rooted in the misconception that God is not good. Every crisis of faith, if you strip it all down, at the root of it is the misconception that God is not good.
1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick, of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. When we fail to truly grasp just how good God is, we invite doubt, fear, and faithlessness into our hearts. Pastor Gary tells us today that all crises of faith occur when we fail to give God the credit which is due Him. When we fail to realize how great He is, the potential to think that He doesn't have our backs arises know that jesus always has your back though he may not grant you all your prayers or provide you with the future you may have expected him to he does know you love you and want the best for you never doubt christ at the close of pastor gary's message today i'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of cornerstone connection subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Psalms chapter 73 for part two of today's message titled, When Life Seems Unfair.
2: Why should I be loyal to God and obedient to God and following God and loving God? I mean, if it seems to be that it works out both ways... Whether you follow God or not in this world, maybe I'm missing out on the fun. There's a lot of Christians who are tormented with that thought because they look around and they see people seemingly fine in their lives without God and it causes you maybe perhaps to question your own faith and to wonder. Maybe, maybe this whole Christianity thing and living for God is not all that it's cracked up to be. Maybe I should be out having fun with all my friends who don't love God and don't know God. Because Asaph even says in verse 14, all day long I've been plagued, I've been punished every morning. He says, I've got the problems. They don't even seem to have the problems. I have the problems. Stuff isn't always working right in my life. Why is this? What's up with that, God? How come the wicked seem to have a carefree life and my life is plagued by problems? And it causes him to nearly stumble about all this. And he even says in verse 14, 15, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. In other words, Asaph says, if I had complained about this, if I had opened up my mouth and said, this is not fair, this is not right, I don't get it, God, why are you doing this? Why do you allow this and not that? If I had said this stuff out loud, I would have caused your children, God, to stumble. So I kept my mouth shut. But boy, I wanted to say something, because I don't like this. Now, by the way, take note. This is a wonderful point for us. When you think that God is not really doing what you want God to do, don't complain about it, not with your mouth. Pray it, don't say it. Because you will eventually come through it like Asaph did. But in the meantime, if you complain about it, you're going to be a bad witness to other people who need to know that God is faithful even when you don't feel like he's being faithful at the moment. So learn to guard your mouth and be careful that when things are troubling in your life, you pray it, you don't say it, you make sure that we're not spreading a bad example and dishonoring the name of the Lord. Asaph said, I wanted to say something, Lord, I wanted to complain. Oh, I wanted to say something, this does not make sense, I don't like this. But I knew, I knew it would cause your children to stumble, so I kept my mouth shut. And he says in verse 16, when I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me. It was oppressive to me. New King James translation says, it was too painful for me. The ESV says it was a wearisome task. The Hebrew is the word amal. And amal means miserable, grievous, and burdensome. He said, when I I tried to understand All of this injustice and complexity and and what I perceive as unfairness, it was burdensome to me. And friends, let me just say something to you. you. If you try to always figure stuff out in this world, if you try to always make sense of the senseless stuff, you will torment yourself. It is burdensome. The fact of the matter is, there are some whys, like why did this happen and why did that happen? There are some whys in this life that will not be understood this side of heaven. It just won't. And if you try to make sense of senseless stuff, it will just torment you. And shame on any of us who try to do that on behalf of somebody else. There are some things that just need to be left alone. Like, we don't understand this. We don't get it right now. You know, oh, I'm sorry your little uh, six-month-old baby died of SIDS. But you know, God needed another angel in heaven. I've heard that kind of stuff. We need to stop saying stuff like that. We We need to look at somebody in the eye and say, you know what? I don't know why this happened. And I'm so sorry. And I'll pray for you. We need to stop giving answers for stuff that have no answers. This side of heaven. Some stuff just does not make sense to us. And we need to recognize that. And we need to stop trying to always make sense of everything. We need to rest in realizing, and I know it seems, that seems troubling and tormenting, but it is, it is even more tormenting to try to explain the unexplainable. It is better sometimes for us just to say, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense. And then press into God. Asaph said, when I tried to make sense of all this, it was burdensome to me. It was so oppressive. Now, verse 17 is a pivotal verse. Okay, this is where things change. There are actually two key verses in Psalm 73, verse 1 and verse 17. I skipped verse 1 when we started into this chapter because I want you to notice verse 1 is a verse that he writes after he's come through all of this. The reason we know is because verse 1 is in the present tense, Verse 2 and on is in the past tense. And then later at the end, he talks about future tense, okay, because he he gets the right perspective. But let me still back up and go to verse 1 before we look at verse 17. Verse 1, he writes here, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Again, if you contrast that with verse 2, where he starts going back tense, uh, past tense. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. So he's he's reviewing what happened but he's at a better place now when he writes Psalm 73 that's why he starts out verse 1 basically saying now I realize and here's what he realizes God is good He says I now realize that God is good but it wasn't always like that I didn't always think God was good when I was in the middle of all of this I didn't realize all that but now I know God is good Every crisis of faith in terms of blaming God for something or becoming angry with God for something or believing that God is unfair about something, every crisis of faith is rooted in the misconception that God is not good. Every crisis of faith. If you strip it all down at the root of it, is the misconception that God is not good. This is a lie as old as the Garden of Eden. This was the lie that Satan perpetrated against Adam and Eve. Here here God puts Adam and Eve in this wonderful garden all right? It's just the most beautiful... It's paradise on steroids. It is everything you could possibly want. It is the luxury of life. It is a carefree life. And God says to them, Now, you were free to eat from any of the trees. Any of the trees in this garden. Any of them. But one. Just one. The one tree you are not to eat. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Or literally in Hebrew, the dying process begins. And the reason why God only put one in there, and he had to put one in there, here's the reason why, in order to implement free will. There has to be a choice in this relationship. Otherwise, if you and I had no choice, we would just be forced to follow God, forced to love God, forced to obey God. The reason why God put the one tree in the garden and said, don't, don't eat of this one, is because he wanted to initiate choice. So it would be a love relationship, not a legal arrangement. Okay? That's the only reason. But God, notice, in his liberty, said, you are free to eat from any of these trees. Just one. Don't eat from the one. And here comes Satan, this shining serpent, into the garden. And he comes up to Eve and he says, did God really say... That you are not to eat, listen to what he says, this is Genesis 3.1, that you are not to eat from any of the trees of the garden. Did God really say that? Now, God didn't say that. God, in fact, said the opposite. You're free to eat from any except one. Satan reverses it and says, did God really say you can't eat any of these trees? Is that what God said? What is Satan trying to insinuate? God's not good. Did he really try to deprive you and you're not supposed to eat any of these trees? Now, Eve spoke up. She gets it a little wrong, and I don't want to make this a study of Genesis 3, but Satan follows up in verse 5 of Genesis 3, and he says this. He said, surely God knew that if you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You see the tool that he took out of his toolbox? He says, you know what? God's holding back on you. God's not really good to you. In fact, God knows if you were to eat of that, your eyes would be open and you'd be like him. You're not your full potential. You need to eat of this fruit so you can be just like him. He's holding back on you. He's not good. That was the first lie that was believed by the human race. That God is not good. And that is still a lie that if we're not careful, we can embrace today. Why? Because our circumstances can sometimes make us think that. We can look at life. And here's something that's a a real caution that we see in in this chapter here. We can look at life and we can begin to look at other people. Here's the danger. And we can think that other people have it better than we. Translation, God's not good to me. And this is what Asaph does. What was verse 3? He says, when I looked at the arrogance of the wicked and I saw their prosperity. He's like, daggone it, they're well off. What's up with that? And he began to play the comparison game, always a dangerous thing. And you can begin to look around at other people and you can think, well, how come their kids aren't rebellious? How come they don't seem to have marital problems? How come they don't seem to have any health issues? How come they have financial well-being and we don't? And you can begin to say all, think all that stuff. And then, of course, you're going to le- be left thinking, I don't think God's good to me. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop doing that. In fact, Paul warns us in 2 Corinthians 10:12. He says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Hamrick translation, they are stupid. Don't be stupid. Now, young kids don't say that at home, but I'm just saying that. that, that that's what, he say, he say, if, when we just look at other people, we compare ourselves to other people, not wise, not smart. Don't do that. Don't play that game because you can always find somebody who seems to be a little bit better in some category than you are and then think God's not good to me like he is to them. And the other important thing to recognize in all of this as well is this. If you don't have the vertical right, if you do not realize God is good, God is good no matter what the circumstance. An inaccurate view of God will lead to an exaggerated view of people. When you don't think God is good, you end up exaggerating other people. L- look what he does here in verses 4 and 5, because in verses 4 and 5, he makes it sound like everything's perfect. He says, he says about the wicked in verse 4, they have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong, they are free from the burdens common to man, they are not plagued by human ills. Really? Nobody? Not any of those wicked people you were looking at, Asaph? Nobody ever got sick, nobody ever had a bad day. But that's what begins to happen. Our minds get tricked into thinking when we look at other people and think, well, they seem to be well off. We start to think about about them, that everything's perfect with everybody except me. And you know what Asaph realizes here? What he came to understand is that no matter what life throws my way, God is good all the time. And he realized that my changing circumstances are no reflection upon God's unchanging nature. Life has unpredictable twists and turns. A lot of things we didn't plan, some things we never imagined would happen. Those unpredictable changing things are no reflection upon the unchanging nature of a good God. Don't believe the lie of Satan. God is not good. This is why this has happened to you. God does not care about you. God does not love you. That's why this has happened to you. Asaph came to understand the goodness of God separate from his own condition and his own circumstances. In fact, it was what would cause him to run to him. We need to remember Isaiah 41.10 For God says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In Psalm 34, verse 8, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good to all who take refuge in him. Verse 1 is an anchor verse for this psalm. Surely God is good. I understand that now. I didn't always think that. I realize now. My changing circumstances, no reflection on God's unchanging nature. And and then the second important verse is a pivotal verse in this chapter, and it's verse 17. So go back to verse 17. And in order to appreciate verse 17, I need to read verse 16. And again, verse 16, he says, When I tried to understand all of this, all of this complexity and the seeming unfairness of life, all this stuff, tragedies and all. That. When I tried to understand this, it was oppressive to me. Verse 17, till I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. There's nothing quite like going to church that will help you gain an eternal perspective on life. Something happens when God's people gather together. Asaph said, when I went into the house of God and my heart was engaged in the worship and my ears and mind were engaged in the scriptures, then I understood. I gained an eternal perspective that far outweighs everything about this world. It helped me to put some things in focus. I now realized that life is more than just here and now. I now realize that it doesn't matter what other people have or don't have, that God will take care of me. I now realize that all the injustice and iniquity in the world will be punished in God's time. And that all the things that presently seem unfair, that scale will get balanced in God's time. That heaven will be a wonderful reunion with family and friends. That I can make it through another day because God really does love me and care about me. That's what he says here. Listen, church is where we come together on our good days and our bad days. And we are reminded about the love of God and the cross of Christ. And we can be encouraged to face another day. And sometimes it is just that, friends. Some of you have gone through some very difficult, terrible things. And it's one day at a time, isn't it? It's one day at a time. But there's something about coming to the house of God and letting our hearts be bathed in the worship with the Lord and hearing God's word that just stirs us again to remember, okay, God is good. Despite my circumstances, there's a good God on the throne. And when I come to church and I gather with God's people, it just helps me to get an eternal perspective about life. And Asaph ends this chapter by giving us five really good bullet points. And that's that's the way I'm going to give it to us, is just as bullet points, that when life seems unfair, remember these five things, okay? And they're found between verses 22 and 26. Each verse says something that is wonderful for us to remember. And here's verse 22. First thing he says was, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. See, in, in the verse before, he says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, okay? When I, when I was processing all of this and I was just, I was upset and I was angry and I was confused. He says in verse 22, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. One of the things to remember, number one, is we have limited understanding. And that's what he's saying. He says, I, I now realize I, I, was, I was just ignorant. And, and we have to realize there are some things, again, this side of heaven, we just won't understand. You know, Paul says in First Corinthians 13, he said, now I know in part... But then, speaking about a day when he's with the Lord, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. We only know things in part right now. Some things will not make sense. One day when we're in the presence of the Lord, all things will be clear. But presently, we have limited understanding. Number two, in verse 23, he says, Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. I love that verse. The second thing is, God will never abandon us. Asaph says, I know that you're holding my hand and I trust you with me and that you will never leave me nor forsake me. You will never abandon me in my difficulties. Number three is in verses 24 and the first part of verse 25. He says, you guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? Number three God will take us to heaven at the end of our days. Not before our time, but at the end of our days. He will take us into glory. And oh, what a wonderful reunion it will be for many of us whose loved ones have gone on before us, who also know Christ. Heaven will be a wonderful place for reunions. Fourthly, in verse 25, last part of verse 25, he says, and earth has nothing I desire beside you. This world offers nothing to be desired compared to God. We have to stop wishing. I know this is a a normal tendency, but we have to stop wishing that this is heaven. This is not heaven. This is earth. And I know that we want everything to be just right and everything to work out wonderfully. And we want the best results and the best answers to our prayer. and And we hope for the best and wish the best and want the best. And... You can keep on expressing that to the Lord and He may honor any of that or all of it, but we have to be careful to remember this is not yet heaven. And this earth still has its share of pain and disappointments and sickness and death and trials. This world offers nothing compared to knowing Him. And finally, number five, in verse 26, He says, My flesh and my heart may fail, But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Number five, God is forever our strength and everything we need. Amen.
1: Each psalm we read is intended to point us to one thing the sovereignty of our Creator. Through pain, tears, joy, and praise, we meet a new characteristic of God with each new chapter. Though we don't know the melodies that accompany this collection of old, we benefit from the deeply passionate and poetic words. We hope your soul has been touched by the teaching you heard today on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary Hamrick will return soon with more from this Old Testament book. But in the meantime, you'll be able to find additional messages at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd like to encourage you to download our mobile app while you're there so you can stay connected to God's Word wherever you happen to be. Each day can be made brighter by the love and power of our Lord. And it's so convenient to have it right at your fingertips. If you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area, We'd love for you to come be a part of our weekly worship services on Sundays. Cornerstone Chapel meets at 8:30, 10, and 11:45 a.m. each week, or try our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. For directions and more information, visit CornerstoneConnection.cc. That's all for today, but be sure to join us next time for another in-depth look at the Psalms right here on Cornerstone Connection. that you've got no place to go but still you know, still you know. you're not a